All right. Um, so hold on, I gotta set a timer. Matt has been uh, anxious about me getting through this, and rightly so because of my track record of uh, not getting through the material. Uh, he's been triangulating some of this through Lauren um, over text, so I, I think I got the point. So timer has started for me. Uh, our system that we've been looking at, the Christian system, uh, we've been thinking this through the biblical plot line, uh, and uh, this semester particularly through the Apostles' Creed. So, uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Uh, and, and what we've talked about in here is how uh, this gives us something like our big picture, our meta narrative, uh, our worldview. Uh, these are the lenses that we might put on. When we look at the world through the lenses of the biblical plot line or the Apostles' Creed, uh, it tells us things like uh, that uh, reality is more than just the natural world. Natural world is part of it but reality is more than that. Uh, through these lenses, we see that God interacts in our world. God is not uh, distantly removed, but he is in involved, sustaining um, and present in our world. Through these lenses, we see Jesus as a unique, um, a unique person or individual or being. Maybe that's a better word. Jesus is a unique being uh, upon which all of, um, all of, kind of history uh, shift. There's a pivotal, sh pivotal shift in reality uh, through Jesus. So today we're going to think about another uh, big picture, uh, or two really, uh, modernity and post-modernity. So these aren't heresies, but they are uh, rival big pictures. So I'm not uh, up here to say we need to uh, abandon everything about modernity or abandon everything about post-modernity, but rather uh, one of the things I'm trying to get at today is when you take either of these as your uh, complete system, what it does then is it kind of shaves away some central things in Christianity. So it's not as though everything in modernity is bad, but if modernity is your big picture, uh, it makes Christianity, um, at least the Christian system, kind of uh, unsustainable, uh, at least the way it's been handed down. So some... Uh, some key pieces to modernity. Uh, this is really painting with broad brush strokes because I've got about 10 minutes and I'm actually going to stick to it. I'm not going to be going to be getting into all the kind of social, governmental, economic things that might fall under modernity, but for our purposes, we might think of modernity, uh, the kind of mantra, prove it. You, you want to tell me something's true or this is reality, you need uh, to prove this to me. So just the facts kind of thing. Um, a chief value in modernity is objectivity. And by objectivity, uh, we're thinking that uh, this is something neutral, that uh, I can come uh, to look at the, uh, the things laid out and with no bias at all uh, can make some decisions. And in fact, I can be so unbiased uh, that I can come to truths that are universal, that they're not culturally bound, culturally conditioned, anything like that. All people could agree on these kinds of things because if we can just uh, look at this neutrally, you know, we have no biases is the idea here. It doesn't matter that I'm uh, white, American, 30-something. I can look at this uh, with complete objectivity and find just facts. Um, the, the authority then in modernity uh, is uh, the scientific method, uh, maybe as king and reason as queen. Um, in this so scientific method, uh, can, you, can you prove this by experiments and repetition? Um, and uh, does this make rational sense? 
So, so far, are you with me on what's going on here? Not with me as in you want to jump on board uh, wholeheartedly with this. Again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with facts. There's anything wrong with striving to be uh, objective um, or that there's anything wrong with the scientific method and reason uh, within their proper bounds. Uh, but what, what happens is uh, the scientific method then gets, tries to be applied to everything um, and, well, it, it ends up not working out um, when the scientific method is applied outside of science. Uh, the kind of strange mix of attitudes you get in uh, modernity is a mixture of skepticism and optimism. So there's a skepticism about tradition. Anything that's been handed down, I'm not sure about that because uh, I want you to prove it. Give me the facts here. I don't care that this has come, the Apostles' Creed has been handed down for you know, 1,500 years. I don't care uh, that the church has recognized the Bible as authoritative. You need to show me why that's authoritative. Can you prove to me uh, through certain criteria that we can, that are objective and universal, that we can all agree on, can you prove to me why I should trust the Bible uh, without appealing to authority? Because I'm skeptical of such authority. And yet, uh, alongside the skepticism of authority and tradition, um, there's an optimism, a kind of, yeah, we humans can do this. We humans can be perfectly objective. Uh, we humans uh, can kind of take life by the reins and, and bring progress. Uh, so there's an optimism about human neutrality, rationality, and uh, progress, all that. The timeline, uh, I mean, there's not like, you know, December 7th. Oh, that's a bad date. Uh, that's my brother's anniversary, which was also a bad choice. So, last, well, I think previous few centuries, as, as, as this was um, uh, enlightenment, uh, ideas, um, um, age of reason, that kind of thing, uh, it's faded uh, in the last century or so with the world wars. Uh, you know, the world wars kind of helped us see, okay, maybe, maybe we're not all seeing things the same way. Maybe we can't be so optimistic about humans coming to view the world alike and reason being enough uh, for us all to, to agree and to not kill each other in horrific and uh, large-scale ways. And then also I think quantum physics has had an effect Whereas something like uh, Newtonian physics, where things really fit patterns nicely, uh, and then you add in quantum physics, where you've got all this kind of uh, messiness, uh, and it's not quite as cut and dry. And we even realize that uh, when a scientist does certain experiments, his observation changes what happens. And so uh, this perfect objectivity, a totally neutral observation and description uh, is, is kind of thrown out of whack see how I'm doing on time. Okay, I've got three minutes. Um, any clarifications on this? I mean, without uh, maybe getting into the weeds on, on getting really detailed, but the broad picture. You guys kind of with me so far? So, yes? Well, the authority seems to be like you would play into the mantra, like to just the facts, which did just the facts lead into us figuring out the scientific method of we got to figure this out to get the facts. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know the how, what led to what. I just don't. Um, I wish I did. Uh, but fortunately, then I have my full time to 
talk about other things that I know a little bit more about. Uh, anything, any other clarification? Questions? Um, so how, how does this how does this put maybe a straitjacket on the Christian faith? Um, well, one one um, one way in which if we try to, to shove Christianity into a modern meta narrative, uh, it, it it then tends to uh, breed a Christianity that's focused primarily on right belief, um, a, a a scholarly. Um, attitude toward Christianity, where scholarship is primarily uh, going to be entering with suspicion of the Bible and tradition, uh, and then it's going to make a move uh, to try to rationalize away miracles and supernatural uh, and even the Trinity. So you'll, if you are kind of aware of, of scholarship in uh, Bible and theology over the last couple centuries, uh, the move has been very different from what we've been doing in this class, where we try to appreciate the tradition, see the big picture, and it's been more a way of, of taking, uh, trying to do history scientifically, which doesn't really work. Uh, but what that means is uh, the Bible is not our authority on God or Jesus or Christianity. In fact, what, we're, what we do is move away from theology and how to live and do, try to do something more like early Christian history or early Israelite history. So... The Gospels, are they authoritative on Jesus? Absolutely not. Um, because uh, how are you going to prove that this is the right, the right uh, set of documents to understand Jesus? Um, is the New Testament accurate on what it means to be Christian? Certainly not, uh, because you've got to prove it. So uh, what happens is uh, people try to come up with just the right criteria in order to apply a kind of scientific method onto the Bible. So uh, about... 15, 20 years ago, well, it's actually been happening for a couple centuries, but um, there was uh, the Jesus, what was it called? The Seminar. Jesus Seminar, thank you. Uh, and so what they do is say, who's the real Jesus? It's not just the Jesus of the Gospels. Uh, we need certain criteria. And so, all right, I'm, I'm wrapping up. Certain criteria to tell us who Jesus is. Um, and the problem with these criteria is uh, that they have proved themselves again and again and again to neither be neutral or universal because despite how many people try to apply these criteria, they all come up with different Jesuses. And so that leads some to say, well, we'll never know anything about Jesus. Uh, and it leads others to say, well, maybe we uh, need to uh, pay attention to the tradition a little bit more. Um, anyway, that's a, that's a brief sketch. Uh, and I'll let Lauren talk a little bit about uh, post-modernity, and then we'll do some Q&A. So you can see kind of the move from here, that as this shows itself to fail, maybe leads to a full pendulum swing uh, in the opposite direction, uh, and that comes with its own kind of problems. All right. Not too bad. Max, yes. Who started Who started? Matt could probably tell us more of the history of this stuff. Modernity, when we talk about... Modernity, like with a capital M, depending on how you want to study that academically, you can get some several different answers. But but the best general answer is it starts with the age of enlightenment, with rationalism, late 16th, early 17th centuries. Um, at the same time that what we think of as modern science begins, for lots of different reasons, a new way of understanding how to how to prove what's true, and therefore an understanding of what is true starts to come into play. A, a way of understanding 
how the world works. Um, it happens at the same time we invent things like the telescope and the microscope. It happens at the same time we discover how blood flows through the body. It's how we discover there are things like germs that cause disease instead of bad air. Um, so it, it's hard to say who invented it, but it's probably that set of philosophers that we call the rationalists or the, um, or, or the, the Enlightenment philosophers, Rousseau, Locke, Descartes, I think they're one. And that's kind of the, the pool of people where it starts. I think it's important for us to understand, too, that when we talk, and especially the way Josh and Lauren are going to talk about it, Modernism and, and postmodernity aren't things like um, Applebee's and O'Charlie's, where you're sitting outside and you can pick which one you like. Sometimes we sort of get that way. Um, if, if you're older than about 50 and you're born in the South, this is how you grew up. If you didn't have a choice, this is just how the world that you, you grew up in, were educated in, moved in, went to church in, was sort of organized in terms of how it understood what's true, how we prove what's true, and how we should therefore make decisions about what we believe and what we do. It's, it's, it's unconscious yes. until somebody brings it up to you. That's just the way it is. There, it, 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 you, you grow up thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Who would not want just the facts? And, of course, I want somebody, I want a judge who can be, who is objective, and perfectly neutral. That's, this is what I expect from my news on television. And it's possible. And that's going to be the definition of good news. Does that make sense? You just sort of accept these things. Now, if you're 40 or younger, probably, even if you grew up in the South, in a big city, the world shifted, probably, as you were growing up, as you were being educated, as you went to church, probably. This may seem more natural to you. For some of you, this may seem strange and foreign. Although, if you're in a Church of Christ, if you grew up in a Church of Christ, probably not. But, but this is a way many people, not like you, they grew up thinking about the world and, and, and how we determine what's true very differently. And that's what Lauren is going to describe next. It's, it's not like you can vote Democratic or Republican, I'm going to be postmodern or modern. You already are one of those. And what happens is, Christianity is neither of those. It's not the same thing as those. But Christianity and its set of beliefs are always challenged by other models of thinking about what's real and what's true. Christians have just as much trouble believing what they believe in a modernist world as they do in a postmodernist world. It's just that the... the, the if you've ever worn a pair of new shoes, they're not broken in. There are hot spots where you get blisters. Modernity creates blisters for Christians in certain spots. And postmodernity, being postmodern, is going to create blisters too, but maybe in different spots. I'll stop there. Okay, so uh, postmodernism, like modernism, is a sl slippery term. It can denote a wide array of positions, so we have to be careful. Uh, usually, people use the word postmodern is just to kind of, they'll, they'll, you know, say that when they're talking about someone they think is acting like a relativist. Like, oh, that person's just a postmodern. 
But like Matt said, we all live in the climate of postmodernity, and so we are all in some sense postmodern, especially those of us who are younger. So that's one thing to bear in mind. The other thing is that um, postmodernism usually denotes something like the more academic or philosophical discourse, whereas postmodernity denotes something like the cultural climate that we have. So um, in terms of the philosophical movement, the death of all meta-narratives is sort of the mantra of postmodernism. We might have said that instead of modernity. But um, what that implies is that um, modernist philosophers thought that we could, they had this ideal that we could arrive at a place of neutral judgment, of uh, reason that is fully objective. And the longer that project tried to carry itself out, the more obvious it was that it wasn't possible, especially in the wake of the World Wars. Uh, Germany was supposedly the place where um, the human you know, reason was flourishing and it kind of had reached its zenith, and then all of a sudden, Nazism happens. So people start to lose hope in that project of the, you know, the human universal reason, neutrality, etc. And so what they realize is uh, the meta-narratives we use that claim to be objective and neutral are actually impossible. And so uh, some philosophers have called this the death of all meta-narratives. So when, when you realize that all of your meta-narratives, your attempts to have this something like universal, neutral reason, when that goes bankrupt, what do you replace it with? That's the question. And so now uh, philosophers say it seems like because neutrality is impossible, the best thing we can do is just all be nice to each other because we all have, it's something I didn't write on the board, um, something about, you know, you might add this to the mantras, is that all knowledge is conditioned, that we are all... Uh, all of our perspectives are somehow impacted by where we were raised, how we were raised, what we were taught, what our personal experience has been, um, and our kind of uh, what I would call like social privilege factors have been. And so because all knowledge is deeply situated in the human experience, that means uh, I can't actually fully understand what Hilton means when he says something. Okay, when he makes a truth claim, I can come at it the best I can, but there's only so far I can go because I'm going to understand that truth claim from my perspective as a woman who is 36 years old. So, uh, and then et cetera, et cetera, depending on where I was raised, where I was educated. And so, uh, in light of that, the, the idea for some people, generally speaking, this is a very rough outline, is that the best we can do is just be tolerant. So in this world, uh, tolerance is the kind of last virtue. So the one sin that is not tolerated is intolerance. Okay? Um, let's see, what else do I want to mention? So what you end up with is something like, uh, again, in kind of academic circles, you have something like a kind of crisis of legitimation. In other words, if we can't appeal to universal reason, how do we reach consensus? And there's lots of different responses to that. Um, for my money, the best responses are the ones that say there's still reason to have dialogue across lines of difference, that we can reach some kind of consensus even across the fact that we do have conditioned knowledge. So um, 
I think the Christian tradition is actually a great example of this, that over time and across uh, different, you know, widely varying cultural settings, that we have something like a sort of wisdom that has been preserved by uh, people who claim to be disciples of Jesus Christ that has made sense over time and across places. And it's been lived out a bit differently. It's been sorted out differently. And yet there is some sort of consensus that is arising there. So I do think that there is possibility. I don't think we have to be... Uh, some some ph- philosophers say that there's no possibility for something like this, that we each just have to kind of, uh, kind of withdraw into tribes, something like tribalism is the result. So uh, on the sociocultural level, the challenge, I think, is something like the fact that uh, everything comes back to personal experience and individual expression. So if it all comes back to my experience has to be the authority, that means that I stop believing that there are authority structures that really matter, like the church, like universities, like governments, right? So all of these things, all of these what, what have for so long been the places where we have vested our interests and our sense of security, now these, these kind of structures of power have been uh, called into question to the point that we no longer trust them. And so that can create this radical sense of um, instability. But when it comes to appealing to people who are on this kind of uh, journey towards personal expression, that personal expression means more to them than what the church has said from the dawn of time, right? Or what God has said to Israel from the dawn of time, rather. So uh, that's the challenge, is that if you're trying to (laughs) attract someone like that to your church, you might find yourself trying to create for them this kind of personal expressivist experience rather than teaching them the norms of the faith because you know that they're more attracted to that personal expressivist experience than the norms of the faith. Is that the order? Is that what? <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we feel pressure to have Starbucks in the church lobby. Uh, so the primary value in such a world is choice. And everyone is on this kind of personal quest for spiritual fulfillment. Uh, the expressivist is kind of on a quest to forge her own religion, her own personal Jesus. You're familiar with that song. Uh, so that's a problem if you believe in the Christian tradition and the claim that human flourishing is actually only going to result from union with Christ through the communal body of believers and that the teleology we've talked about, if you remember the telos, the future towards which we are headed, is one that has not only communal but also cosmic dimensions to it and that we are actually, um, we are going to flourish when we live into full communion with each other and God and the creation itself. Uh, so there are a lot of people that are we, what we might call spiritual seekers who still are attracted to this option. But the thing that we can't get away from, the thing that is, we can shake our fists at it, but we end up right back where we started, is the fact that this is the milieu in which we live. So even if people find their way into this, it is something like their way. So that's where teenagers are right now. That's where our college students are right now. They have to, this is the the water that they drink and the air that they breathe. And so if they're going to see the good in 
Uh, so something like a communal and teleological version of flourishing, it has to come from their own journey towards that, kind of discovering that, rather than just growing up thinking that's the case. And um, there's also the uncomfortable fact of the call uh, in Christian living to recognize your own sin and to recognize that we live in view of the fact that we have been promised some sort of judgment. And that's not a very cool thing to talk about when you're trying to get people to come to your church. Uh, but it's unavoidable when you read Romans that there is, that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, that we will all face judgment, that, that judgment actually happens. So that's, that takes us back to the creed, that uh, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. So that affirmation uh, is one that we have to wrestle with rather than avoid. And we can get into that as much as you know, you'd like to. I would say that one thing to bear in mind is that uh, Romans also promises us that that judgment has been, um, that our fate in that judgment has been sealed through Christ's obedience, through the gift of grace that has been given us. And yet we still have a call to live into that. We still have to account for how the full shape of our life has taken when we come before God in the end. That's the that's the vision that Paul gives us in Romans. So I've just hit you with a lot, but comments there from mine. That's got to come on. Okay, let's swap places. I think that was really good, and I, and I think I think y'all would agree with me. What's really important for us to recognize, and I think what they what they've helped to see, uh, what I'm going to hopefully make sure we see is that every one of us in this room, because we're in this room, are operating on both sides of this fence. And, and if any, just pick a spot in your life. We're, we're sort of torn it. For example, some of us tend to answer questions about theology by saying, well, if you just read the Bible, it's, it's right there. That betrays which one of those ways of thinking the world we're in, right? When, when a person says, just read the Bible, which way are they thinking? And because they, now the postmodern response is, okay, which one? Right? Those of us who say, just read the Bible, mean the new Revised Standard, or the old King James, or the new King. In other words, it's objectively true, you can read it right here, what's the question? That, that's a modernist, extreme kind of modernist approach. When you look up on the screen Sunday morning and you see what you think might be from Scripture or not, that's a that's a different way of thinking about Scripture. There's lots of different versions. Does that make sense? Not any one of which is objectively more true than the other. That, that's where we see the effects of postmodernism in in our religious life. How many of you gone to the grocery store and tried to buy tomato sauce and spent 15 minutes? going through the 37 different selections. Crushed, with garlic, with olive oil, with garlic and not olive oil, with garlic and olive oil, organic, organic inorganic, <laughs> with spices. You, you know what I'm talking about. Right? I can't even buy toilet paper without... Mary won't send me to the store anymore because I'll bring back the wrong kind. It's always the wrong kind. I bought toilet paper. It's the wrong kind. <laughs> the Kroger sale, that usually makes her happier, yeah. Um, when we think about um, news, the news cycle today, 
Whenever somebody says, well, you can't trust any of them, they're all biased, that's a postmodern response. In the old days, some of, some of you, like me, remember Walter Cronkite, right? or the two guys on NBC News, I never could remember their names. I just remember John Cameron Swayze. John Cameron Swayze, right? was only 15 minutes. And it didn't matter which one you watched, because they're all going to tell you pretty much the same objective truth, or at least what we thought was objective, right? You know we don't live in that world anymore. And even if you think of yourself as conservative and traditional, when you say things like, well, you can't trust any of the news, it's all biased, you've adopted already, you already bought into a postmodern way of thinking about the world. It's not that there's, that Christianity is modernist and we have to be aware, and we have to keep from being postmodernist. It's not that we need to rescue Christianity from modernism and make it postmodernist. Both of those are equally false because neither modernity nor postmodernity are about the creed. The creed is something different. Both of them create problems for Christians who believe the creed. In modernity, it's, was there really a Jesus? Did he really die? People don't come back from the dead. How do we explain that? And post-modernity is, so why is your Christianity better than my Christianity? Does that make sense? You don't, it's not like one's right and one's wrong. It's not like we're in one or the other. We're living in a church, if you're at Otter Creek, that has deep roots in modernity. And if you're at Otter Creek, it's also got deep tentacles in post-modernity. This is the tension that we live in, and that's what I think they're trying to help us see, is how do we navigate ourselves through this tension, given that we're, we're a lot like this some days, and we're a lot like this some days, all of us, all the time, together. So, James K. Smith tells a story that he borrowed from somebody, I can't remember who it is, but two young fish are swimming in the water, and older fish swims by and says, hey boys, how's the water? The other two fish keep swimming along, and one fish looks at the other and says, what the heck's water? Uh, and, and the point that he's drawing from this is that we um, live sometimes in these worlds. We swim in the water and don't even realize that we are swimming in this water. Um, so part of what uh, we're doing and what Matt was particularly drawing our attention to is, is to see that this is sometimes the water that we're swimming in. Uh, and if we do so and aren't aware that we're doing so, uh, it can create um, a lot of tension, um, generational tension, especially as felt in the church. So, um, in a kind of hyper, really um, closed modern system, who is Jesus? Well, the only thing you can really prove, the only facts you can really get to uh, historically that almost everyone can agree on is that he was a first century Jew uh, that was crucified under Pilate. That's about it. You get about two or three lines about who Jesus was. Um, over here, who is Jesus? Well, he's my best friend. Uh, he might be God. I think he was just human, a really good teacher. Oh, I think that he is God in the flesh, but, um, you know, whatever you want to believe is fine, and I'll believe what I want to believe. Um, what's the Bible? Well, um, in a hyper-modern thing, it's something that a bunch of humans put together. I don't know how authoritative it is. Uh, but we certainly can't appeal to something unprovable like inspiration. What's the Bible? Well, for me, uh, the Bible is uh, something that helps me feel good. Uh, well, for me, the Bible is authoritative. 
Uh, and so you have this, you see this kind of uh, inevitable clash that's happening. What happens when we want to deal with uh, issues in the church like uh, women in ministry or um, gay marriage or something like that? Here, well, let's just objectively look at what the New Testament says. So let's objectively look at what the first century church was doing. Over here, well, what does that person feel like? And how do I feel about that? Uh, and so what's going to happen inevitably is, well, either a clash or just a complete talking past one another. Um, because neither of these um, is fully, well, Christianity, as Matt keeps saying, it's not one or the other. Um, I think it takes some of the best of both. Uh, but it also gets rid of some of uh, each of those because there is some authoritative big picture, and yet it's more than uh, what we can determine by the scientific method. Um, so it does create some tension. Lauren, what would you add, and then maybe we'll do some Q&A? Sure, I think we probably are at time to Okay. Well, Comments or questions? Yeah, why don't y'all come... Come so over here. Is, so when I think of modernity, I think of that classic late 19th century way of human understanding that transcended all all dimensions um, of human understanding. But when we think about post-modernity, certainly it hasn't fully overwhelmed the culture. For example, I'm not a scientist, but I know that, that scientific inquiry has not adopted uh, some way of understanding that involves so can you talk a little bit about that? Let's talk about um, the topic of global warming. And here's where you'll see it. All right? If you ask a scientist, science is a modern thing. In the sense that it's rationalistic, it's objectivistic, it's positivistic, it's based on determinable, weighable, measurable facts. In, today, in 2019, yes. It, yeah. it just is. And yet you'll hear... People say, well, that's just, that's just what those scientists think. I'd like to see what other scientists think. That way of thinking about science is a postmodern way of thinking about this. A scientist would say, there's no other science beyond the facts. And all we have is the facts. What those facts mean can vary. But all, we, all science gives you, to the best of its ability, is what we are most comfortable calling facts. Add, one of the weird things about this is that we might think of this as something of a dotted line, but you can live in both worlds. I mean, a scientist could be, rightly so, I think, a solid scientist who's just interested in the facts, um, but then they might go to church and be very postmodern. Uh, or uh, they might take it all the way and just be interested in the facts and then try to apply that scientific method across all disciplines. Um, so. Yeah, this isn't like a rigid, a rigid distinction. Yeah. I am a least scientific person in the room, probably, and don't even know what I mean by quantum physics. But I have read and heard that there is that quantum physics is moving into the direction of post. But well, so quantum physics is. Yes. So yeah, what I put up here is that it kind of pushed, or it helped oh, lean us toward uh, post-modernity because Newtonian physics seems that there's these nice laws that are kind of clear-cut, and uh, we can maybe hope to be objective and neutral, but quantum physics brings in a certain indeterminacy. 
And that just messes with our idea that we can, even in the scientific disciplines, be perfectly objective and neutral. So even when the thing that's supposed to be most scientific can't be perfectly objective, then it has this kind of ripple effect of, oh, what can we do that's neutral and objective? It may still be objective, but it can't be explained. It can't be explained? They're kind of at odds with each other. And uh, but they explain different levels of mm -hmm. Relativity explains big things, quantum physics explains little things. Yeah. And that's this contrast because they don't necessarily agree completely. Yeah. So the, the piece I'm getting at maybe is also how uh, the observer itself affects things at the quantum level. So that perfect neutrality is then even kind of muddled with. You know, uh, Matt said fairly quickly, and I just want to come back to this, that churches in Christ are deeply in this modern scientific worldview. And back to Randall's question, who started it? For us, Alexander Campbell. Making Campbell walk into this scientific worldview with a vengeance, and we have inherited it. So here we are, a modern church, living in a postmodern world, and so a month or two ago, the Christian Chronicle had a huge headline, and it was a question. You know what I'm talking about. It said, can churches of Christ be saved? And one of the reasons we're in a crisis is because we're so deeply rooted in this modern worldview, and we're living in this postmodern world. How are we going to navigate this? Yeah, the, the, the roots of Church of Christ is uh, other particularly Alexander Campbell, trying to bring um, the, the, the divided church together over, those, if we just look at scripture and get rid of all the layers of tradition, and we can all just agree on what the Bible says and be united accordingly. Well, then, and then one more interesting point. Yeah. So, so Campbell and so many of us, we're restoring the primitive church uh -huh. through the modern lens. The irony is, no one and the entire history of Christianity from Jesus until the 18th century had ever thought of yeah. Christianity through the modern things. <laughs> yeah. The word restored the primitive church. It is. So that's yeah, a great irony. Terrible irony, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah well, I, I just wanted to kind of touch on what you were saying about the, the swimming in the water analogy. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's uh, really interesting for me to keep in mind because as a 20 something, um, it is really easy. To forget, even as twenty something, how just postmodern is just taken for granted. Because I think it's kind of a, a natural um, result of like the globalization of the world and the internet. I mean, I think I think it's hard to not be at least a little postmodern. Oh yeah. At my age, especially because we're used to there are like twenty different news sites I can pull up on my phone, and they'll all present the news slightly differently. How could I possibly believe that there's a um, you know, there's all these stories from across the world of different cultures who do things slightly differently, who are aren't flourishing. Like, how could I possibly believe one of them yeah. is the right one? And I think that leads very subconsciously, or sometimes not so much, into how you interact with faith. Um, you know, it, it just becomes like, well, if I can't possibly believe the news is actually objective, or I can't possibly believe one, you know, way of doing society is so much better than the other. How could I possibly believe that uh, Christianity could be 
the one true yeah. veterinarian. And I don't think there's always a good answer for that. I think, unfortunately, a lot of the people who are in leadership are still using a mostly modernist lens, even if they're aware of post-modernity or subscribe to it at some level. And I think that's where a lot of disconnects are coming. Yeah, I haven't heard Lauren. Well, I saw Dixie's hand and Hilton's. I kind of want to hear from you. Well, I kind of I remember having because I grew up in a very you know, taught there like this, and then when we experienced time in a different sort of church, went to their like little get to know you, this is our church kind of thing, and and somebody else asked about baptism, and I said something, and the pastor said, oh, you think you have to, your church Christ, you think. You have to be baptized to go to heaven. And I said, yeah, because that's what the Bible says. And so, anyway, through the course of time after that was over, he said to me, well, he said, well, I want you to know that this is a great area. Volumes have been written about this topic, and so it's a great area. Obviously, they do practice baptism. But after the whole thing was over, he said to me, um, I want you to know that you do not have to believe the same thing that we believe too much of And that was like, hmm. And it was through the, my time there that I realized that there's no way for me to read the Bible objectively at all. And these other people who read the Bible, they, they're not reading it objectively either. They're as zealous for Jesus as I am, but they read it differently. And so through you know, my, all my wisdom and living and stuff, I have realized that being right not the point. It's, I am not going to heaven because of what I believe about baptism. I'm not going to heaven because of how many times I need the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to heaven because of all of these kinds of things that I do. I'm going to go because I believe in the sacrifice of Jesus. And like that's the what I know for sure. And that's it. That's it. And so it kind of makes everybody else's practice of faith post-modern. Like, oh, yeah, I totally see why you're doing it that way. I'm going to do it this way because of, and, and I still and what I'm doing is not the thing it's the what I believe I know for sure is that Jesus is God's son and he gave everything I do think that is absolutely the core and I think we have to keep returning to that uh, else we forget what we're doing and why we're doing it and um, I also think that we can have a little more hope that Yes, all knowledge is conditioned, but I do think that different kind of truth claims or, or sort of uh, what we, there are still meta-narratives in the world, in other words. Christianity offers one, and the question for someone who's trying to decide whether or not it's the right one or to go with another is that does it make the best sense of their experience, and that is, that is the reality, that people look for some sort of validation within a meta-narrative framework of the experience they have beyond it. So I think that it's a big conversation that goes beyond the time we have left, but I do think that part of what we're doing in this class, for example, is saying there is a really important place for um, reasoning together through the content of our faith and what we're, what the details of our meta-narrative actually are not because we want to exclude people from worshiping with us, not because we want to say we have it all figured out and that our heavenly destination is somehow secured through our own means, but rather that God has called us into this way to use our 
heart, soul, and mind in doing it. And I'm not saying anything that would surprise you. I know you're a pretty smart cookie, so. Um, I just think that what, yes and, right? I want to say yes to that, but also that what we're doing in here is sort of saying that we have to be careful about the claims that we're making and if they actually make sense because people will be turned off if they don't. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then, Hilton, did you have a closing comment? Come on, Hilton. Yeah. Because it illustrates that... The well, postmodernism is not the enemy unless you're a modernist. <laughs> and, and modernism is the enemy if you're just a postmodernist. Christians have always been sort of stuck in between. Does that make sense? Over here, modernity is all about being right. Postmodernism is all about being tolerant. Both of those are good things. Both of those exclusively are not good things. And our challenge today in this church is always the same challenge, which is how do we balance our desire to be right, whatever that means, with our desire to do right. Maybe our desire for truth. Our desire for truth. Where, where is where is truth? This one has one definition of truth. This one has a different definition of truth. The creed, which we're about to speak and end, is truth. And it's neither of those. Yeah, and that bullseye piece that we keep coming back to. There are things that are core. There are things that are entailed as necessary. So it's not just... I, I might not put it as narrow as you would with Jesus and the cross, because uh, I think there are some more things entailed that go along with that. But then there are some places that we can say we agree to disagree. Um, and I think this communal work, studying scripture and knowing the tradition helps us then navigate where we got to agree, where we can agree to disagree. Um, well, let's agree. All right. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He ascended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. Go in peace. Thank you all.